we very intentionally work our way through Scripture verse by verse, that, um, that our teaching here is not rooted in or directed by my wisdom, because um, I just run out real quick, um, but God's wisdom and uh, seeing what His Word has for us. Let me ask you, have you ever been in true darkness? I don't mean darkness like nighttime outside darkness. I mean real dark. When we were kids, we used to, you know, the only room in the house, we had like a glow-in-the-dark sticker or something. You had to go into the bathroom because there was no windows and close the doors. And if you're real serious, you had to like tuck the towels under the, under the crack in the door. Um, well, I, I thought that was pretty good darkness uh, until a uh, f- number of years ago now, um, when I was doing youth ministry, um, Beth and I uh, decided to take a, a group of, of teenagers out into the mountains to explore a cave system that we had learned about. Um, we spent all morning hiking up the side of the mountain to this small opening in, in the side of a cliff, um, about the size of a small car, and, and through that hole was about two kilometers of meandering cave systems. Um, how could you resist? This is why I became a youth pastor. This is work now. Um, and uh, we, we had stopped at a gas station that I heard about through some rather spurious research. And uh, for $3, you could buy a, just a hand-sketched map of the cave system. So we had that in hand, and pretty confident, uh, into the cave we went. Um, there were rooms as best I can gather, about twice the size of this hall uh, and other places where I had to breathe out and turn my head sideways as we would shimmy through a few feet at a time. Uh, It was awesome. And uh, at one point we stopped for lunch and had all the kids turn off their lights and just sit there in the pitch, pitch black. Like you wave your hand in front of your face, there's there's nothing. There's hundreds thousands of feet of rock above and below and to either side, uh, it's dark. Now, that was fun. And, and the reason I did that to turn off our lights there was so that I could hit them with a camera flash when they weren't ready for it and their pupils are all dilated. Um, but it was about an hour later, um, we were climbing in and out of some large boulders that you could kind of go under and around. And, and one of the kids found that under one of the boulders, another room opened up and the bottom of that room was another room, and out from there was a long, narrow passageway. And uh, the group was getting a little tired and, and kind of unsure, so I thought, I'll, I'll go ahead on my own and, and check this out, explore this a little bit. Um, what I didn't realize is as I made my way down, there was a fork in the cave, and I went past it. And so as I came back up, I took that fork unknowingly, and what I thought was a straightforward one way back to the group uh, became a dead end. And, uh, and that was not a comfortable place to be. Um, for a moment, I thought, I, I'm sure I'm close. I, I think I can hear voices, maybe. Maybe if I turn off my light, I'll be able to see one of their lights. And so I turned my light off. And at that moment, that place changed. <laughs> that was dark. That, that's a new kind of darkness. It was terrifying. Um, really uncomfortable. And, and in that moment of of insecurity, not knowing the way back, not being comfortable and confident anymore. Um, 
boy, your, your mind just fills with all of the, the terrible stories you've heard of, of, of cavers that get lost and are found days later. They're, you know, they're, they're upside down because they just can't figure out which way is up anymore. They're talking gibberish. They're seeing things that aren't there. Um, it was terrifying. And I found my way back out eventually. I, I lived, spoiler alert. Um, but that kind of darkness just makes you shudder. We weren't created for darkness. We, we were created for light. We, we don't like the darkness. We don't do well in the darkness. Without light, we're lost. We're helpless. We're dead. And the Lord is drawing on that kind of imagery, those, those realities of light and darkness, when in the tabernacle, this tent where he's promised his presence would dwell, uh, he instructed Israel, build a lampstand. Build a light. My tabernacle, the place where I dwell, will be a place of light. Exodus 25, look with me there. We're going to look at verses 31 to 40. Um, let me remind you before, you before we read this, what it is that we're looking at. Maybe you haven't been here for the last few weeks. Um, Grant, if you could put that first picture up. Um, this is the tabernacle. Um, it's this small tent in the middle of the desert um, that God has instructed them to build. And the Lord said, in that tent, my presence will be with you. God gave them very specific directions exactly how to build this tent and everything in it. Um, because everything in this tent is communicating. God is saying, this is who I am. This is what my presence with you will be like. And, and here, he's communicating again. So looking at this picture, we see inside these uh, four main pieces of furniture. You have the Ark of the Covenant at the back. Um, you have the altar of incense in front of the veil. On the, the bottom right there is the, the bread of the presence. And then to the left, um, the, the lampstand. This golden lampstand that we'll be talking about this morning. So Exodus 25, verses 31 to 40. Let me read it. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out the other side of it, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch, for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself, there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers, a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it, a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. And its tongs and their trays shall be made of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which was being shown you on the mountain. Would you pray with me as we... Father, we need you. God... Thank you for the promise of light. And Lord, we ask for your illumination now as we look into your word. 
God, that you would give us eyes to see your truth, that you would soften our hearts to be challenged by it, to be changed by it. God, that you would speak through me, um, that, um, Lord, anything that, that I have thought of to say that, that is not of you, that is not true to your word, God, that those words would fall to the ground, but that your truth would go forward. Lord, that we would uh, leave this place uh, transformed, conform more to the image of Christ by the, uh, the power of your spirit through your word. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So a lampstand. Um, it's another picture. You have a chance to have a look at what it may have looked like. Again, this is kind of artist rendition. Uh, best we can guess out of looking at the, the description here. Uh, made of pure gold. All hammered out of one piece. Uh, I'm not done a lot of metal work or gold work, but it seems to me that's a pretty impressive feat. Um, all of these little pieces uh, out of one piece of gold. Um, the stem up the middle. And then six branches going off, three on either side. So we have seven lamps in total. Um, seven, a number used through Scripture to represent completeness, perfection. Um, and then along each branch, there would be these three cups, like almond blossoms along the way. Uh, and then four up the stem. And you see each of these uh, cups has two parts. Um, I, I'm curious, did anyone know what a calyx was? Melanie, do you know what a calyx is? Kind of, guys, <laughs> I didn't have a clue. Um, it, it's, it's just the, the, uh, the hard shell that would encompass the bulb, the, the, the leaves around the flower. Um, and so each was specifically to have its calyx and its flower. Um, I have another picture here. This is what an almond flower looks like. So you can see the, the leaf on the outside and the, the flower out the middle. Um, that's what they were to represent, working their way up the stems and the branches. Um, and then verse 37, they were to make seven lamps. Um, one more picture. Here's what an ancient lamp would look like. Um, you'd fill that with oil and put a wick in the end, and so it would burn that uh, oil as it was drawn up the wick. And... Uh, Seven of those to sit, one on the top of uh, each branch and the stem. Um, one thing's interesting as we're going through this, with all the measurements that we've looked at so far, there is no measurement for the height of the lampstand. Um, we don't know. Jewish tradition uh, has it about four and a half feet tall. Um, so again, not overly huge. Um, some would call it a, a, the candelabra, um, but there were not candles yet. These only lamps. So that's a bit of a misnomer. Um, and then they were to make these tongs for handling the, the lamps and the wicks and trays, uh, possibly for spent wicks as they cleaned and tended to the lamps. Uh, and then if we skip forward over to Exodus 27, just one page over likely in your Bible, um, we see this about the oil for the lamps. Uh, verse 20 in chapter 27. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light that lamp may regularly be set up to burn in the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall tend to it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. And so they were to crush olives and 
They would get oil from that. That was a, a significant part of their uh, lifestyle, of their culture, and, and they were to donate some of that to the temple. And that pure beaten olive oil would be for the lamps to keep them burning regularly as the priests tended to them. Finally, if we flip all the way forward to chapter 37, uh, as we've seen before, um, the commands, the instructions are so specific. Uh, and then chapter 37, verse 17, we have, uh, we have them building the lampstand, following these instructions so carefully. He also made the lampstand of pure gold, and he made the lampstand of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers were of one piece with it. And there were six branches going out its sides, three branches of the lampstand to one side, and of it, one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, with each, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. And so for six branches going out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself were four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of six branches going out of it. Their calyxes and their branches were of one piece with it. The whole of it was a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. And he made seven lamps and its tongs and its trays of pure gold. He made it and all its utensils out of a talent of pure gold. So that's the, the basics of this golden lampstand in the tabernacle. There's the the dynamics of it, but why? What, what does this mean? Um, there's a great example here, I think, of, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about typology and how to, how to look for the meaning behind some of these things. Again, looking at, at what would they have seen, the people there, the Israelites, what are the major themes through Scripture that people are building? Um, if you want to read deeply about the lampstand, you're going to find people who I think go way too far into speculation and looking at the the, the how many leaves are on an almond blossom and how that adds up to 66, which is the 66 books of the Bible. And I'm going, no, <laughs> it's not what the Lord meant. There's some others that are maybe a little more interesting as you look at the beaten olive oil and how Christ was beaten. And you go, maybe a little more speculative, a little more questionable, but, but closer, I think, maybe. There's at least a question mark there or the, the pure gold and looking at the purity of Christ. Um, but I think the clear, obvious typology that we have here is light. God is saying, there's going to be light in my presence. My presence being with you is light. And, and as the Lord brings this forth and paints this picture for them, I think the first thing that it says to them and, and to us is, you need light. You need light. And of course, God's not talking about physical light. He's speaking of our spiritual condition. We are sinful. We're rebels against God. The Bible consistently describes humanity as being spiritually lost and blind and dead and in darkness. Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We're darkened in our hearts by sin. Ephesians 4.18 They're darkened in their understanding, 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. In our sin, we live in, in darkness. We're lost. That describes who we are as humans. That's the spiritual condition that we are born into, separated from God, lost in darkness. There, there are some people who feel that very deeply and, and who are, are troubled and miserable and empty. There are other people who are pretty good at burying that down deep, who adapt to the darkness and, and carry on living basically as if nothing's wrong living uh, with various levels of success. But this darkness is not a subjective thing. It's not, the, the problem is not that we feel that we're in darkness. The problem is we are objectively in darkness. It is true, whether we feel it or not, whether it bothers us or not. That's where we are born. That's who we are. We are in darkness because of our sin. We're separated from God. And the effect of that darkness is similar to physical darkness. I always am curious running these things in my mind. The God uh, who has all wisdom and all knowledge, who, who knew all of this before he created, did, did, he use, <laughs> did he create darkness for an illustration of our spiritual darkness? The effect of physical darkness, we get disoriented. We don't know which way is up. We lose our, our compass. We lose our bearing. And spiritually, we, we lose our moral compass. We, we, we lose the ability to tell right from wrong. We, we talk foolishness and we call it wisdom. I mentioned earlier about being in the cave and, and your eyes start to do funny things and you'd swear you saw a light flash or a glow here or there and then you, you reach out and find, no, it's a wall directly in front of me. When you find yourself in spiritual darkness, we end up chasing after things, running after things that aren't there. Uh, Romans 1 put it so well. Uh, they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, and claiming to be wise, they came, became fools. Uh, we see this so clearly in the world around us. But that's not the end of it. Um, our darkness that we are born into and that we live in has eternal consequences. For those who die in that state of darkness, who stand before God's judgment as rebels against Him, uh, Jesus says they'll be cast into outer darkness, a place they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jude speaks of those for whom the gloom of outer darkness or of utter darkness has been reserved forever. That's hell. A life of darkness here, wandering away from God, lost and disoriented in sin, leads to eternal darkness, cut off from the grace of God, cut off from the goodness of God. Whether we recognize it or not, Regardless of how effective we are at denying it or distracting ourselves, we live in darkness and we're desperately in need of light. And the lampstand, firstly, reminds us that we need light. That by nature, we're lost in the darkness. But secondly, the lampstand, illuminating the temple, declares the Lord is light. The Lord is light. God's saying, I am the light. My presence is what you need it's the it's the remedy for our spiritual darkness god's presence is often represented throughout scripture as 
light. Think of the, the correlation between the, the lampstand with its flowers and branches and the, the bush that burned but was not burned up in Exodus 3 when God's presence first came to Moses. Or the, the pillar of fire that guided Israel throughout the wilderness that, that shed light for them in the darkness. Psalm 18.28 says, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. By placing the lampstand in the temple, the Lord is saying, You are lost in darkness and I'm the light. I will bring light for my people. I will overcome their darkness. Just stop and think about where do we turn to find light? We're so constantly trying to create light of our own. Our culture does this so desperately. Some kind of moral compass of our own making, some kind of enlightenment. And obviously there are numerous religions that, that are seeking for just that, right? Enlightenment. That's what we're after. Through, through meditation and through, through good deeds, we can be enlightened. We have daytime talk shows that are selling their own brand of light. Look at all the good that we're putting out in the world. Look at all these things that we've done to make people happy. This whole self-help, believe in yourself, Look for the light that's in you. It's deep down inside of your heart. That will give you clarity. That will help you find the the greatest good of your life. It's in you. I dare say even the environment and this radical climate change activism. What is it? It's it's an opportunity. It's It's a desire to find some kind of objective moral good. This is my anchor. This is what it means for us to live right. We're desperate for it. We need light. And in the absence absence of light, we strive and grasp and search for all kinds of substitutes. But there is no light but God. Where do we look for light? Where do you turn for hope, for direction, for truth, for that sure bearing on your moral compass? Look to the Lord. Let Him be your light. Let Him give definition and clarity to your reality. We're lost in the darkness trying to find our way and we can go chasing after all kinds of figments of our imagination, but you turn on the light, the true light, and you can see clearly. We need light. The Lord is that light. And then thirdly, the Lord is declaring by this lampstand that the light of the Lord gives life. There's another specific focus of the, the imagery of this lampstand. If you think about some of the other imagery in the tabernacle, the, the cherubim, the presence of gold and onyx stones, the presence of the Lord there, it, it all comes together to paint this picture of the tabernacle as this mini Garden of Eden. It, it's the presence of God condensed down into this tent. It's a a new Garden of Eden, in a way. And the details of this lampstand, notice it doesn't have arms, it has branches. It doesn't have a center pillar, it has a stem. That's a distinctly horticultural term there. The lampstand is the tree of life. 
And just as darkness and death are often paralleled throughout Scripture, often associated with one another, so is light and life. And so Psalm 36.9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Psalm 56.13, You have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. These two pictures go together. When Adam sinned, when he and Eve disobeyed God and rebelled against God, they lost their access to the Garden of Eden. Their sin removed them from the presence of God, out from the light of His presence into the darkness of sin. And up to that point, there was no such thing as death. It, it didn't exist They didn't know what that meant. Living in the presence of the Lord, all they knew was life. But the consequence of their sin was death. They lost their access to the tree of life. Cast out. Physical death and the pain and suffering and everything that comes with that entered into the world for the first time. But along with that physical death, there was a spiritual death. There was a a separation from God. But in the lampstand, God is offering a return to light and a return to life. The flowers on that lampstand, very specifically, not just any flower, they were almond flowers. In early spring, it was the almond bush that was the first tree that would begin to bloom and to put forth its flowers. In fact, the word for almond in Hebrew literally means to watch or to wait. Because as spring would come, they'd be watching, waiting eagerly to see that almond blossom flower, those buds, the first sign of life in the spring. The almond was a flower that that was a picture of life out of death. And in this lampstand with its almond flowers, God is saying, I will restore you to my presence. I will give you light, and that light will be a life to you. That's what the presence of God would do. He's not this angry, judgmental God. He's not this killjoy God. We so often think of religion as something that that sucks the life out of people. Something that's that's constraining and demanding, but that's not what God offered. Those things belong only to, to demented human distortions of what God has offered. Psalm 1611, David says, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what the lampstand is promising. It's promising new, full, rich life. He comes down to rescue people out of darkness into light, out of death into life. But how? How exactly is that accomplished? Well, Just as the Ark of the Covenant and the veil of the Holy of Holies and the bread of the presence, this golden lampstand points forward to Jesus. We need light. The Lord is light. The light of the Lord gives life and Jesus is that light. 750 years before Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, 
Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet wrote Isaiah 9-2, and he foretold the coming of Jesus with these words, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And of course, when Jesus came, John says this of Jesus, John 1-4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's Him. He's the lampstand. He's the the fullness of it. He's the presence of God come down. We were lost in death and darkness, and He comes to bring life and light. Without Jesus, we're cut off from God. Cut off from the light of the knowledge of Him. We're lost. 2 Corinthians 4 says, In their case, that's the case of those who are without Christ, the God of this world, that's small g, that's speaking of Satan, the ruler of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They can't see the light of the glory of God. And so we grope about lost in darkness, unable to find our way, chasing after false light. And we need something outside of ourselves. We need a light to shine in. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 then says... For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Do you see that? It's a reference to the miracle of the first day of creation when there was nothing that existed. And God said, let there be light. And light came out of darkness. That God who created light out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the miracle of salvation. That He shone His light in our hearts. That we who were dead and in darkness all of a sudden had this new illumination to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To see what we never saw before. And it's on par with the miracle of creation. We've been straining our eyes, looking into the darkness, chasing after empty hope, and all of a sudden, in Him, we saw the glory of God on display. But how can that be? How can this gift of life happen? Our darkness, our rebellion against the light in the first place, rightly earned us the death that we deserved. When Jesus came, the very embodiment of light, the personification of everything that is, that is good and right and true, John 3.19 says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The light came. The, the life himself came down to earth and we killed him on a cross. A third tree that would become a source of life. But as Jesus hung on that cross, though it was the middle of the day, 
for three hours, the sky went black as our darkness fell upon the light of the world. And the one who was himself life and light took on death and darkness on our behalf. Our darkness, our sin, our rebellion, our guilt and shame fell on him. He took the wrath of God that we deserved so that we might be rescued into life, into light, so that His people would have new life, a new creation would be started. As the Israelites saw the lampstand in the holy place of the tabernacle, it was pointing down the corridor of history to this moment. God was saying, I will deal with darkness and death. Trust me. Trust me, it will be done. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He did for us what we were helpless to do. Having borne our darkness and paid our debt of death in our place, He opened for us the way into eternal life, into the full presence of God. And so that that imagery of, of light and the tree of life continues to point forward. And we still look forward today. Revelation 21, 23 says, The city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The the new city, the new heaven, it has no more lampstand. In in fact, it doesn't have sun or moon because God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. It's Jesus. He's the lampstand. It's a place full of perfect light, the glory of God and Christ fully and perpetually on display. And then Revelation 2.7, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In heaven stands a new tree of life. To all who overcome this world by their faith, Jesus offers this tree, come and eat again from the tree of life, come again into eternal life. So heaven is this place full of eternal, abundant light and life in the presence of God. That's where this is all going. That's where this culminates. God set this out from before the beginning of time. We need light. Trust in Jesus. He's the one who offers this life, this light to us. Look to Him. There's one more layer to the lampstand, I think, as it applies to us as God's people. Having this light among them, they were then to represent that light to the world. Church, we are called then to be the light. God said to Israel, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. They were not to keep the light of the Lord hidden away in the tabernacle to hide it and guard it. 
they, they were to become a light to the world around them. They were to be a missionary people. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are now to be lights, representative of Jesus who is the light. Philippians 2.15 says that, that we are to shine like lights in a crooked and twisted generation. Revelation 1 speaks of Jesus walking among the churches. And what does he use as a symbol for the churches? Lampstands. We as believers, as the church, are lampstands. By our lives, transformed by the gospel, by the evidence of the hope that we have in us, by the witness of a life built on a, on a moral foundation of the truth of God's word, by a clear proclamation of the good news that the light of the world has come, that Jesus, by his sacrifice, offers eternal life. We come as bearers of that light, as representatives of Him. And we take this light that we have in Christ and we put it on display for the world to see. No no one takes a lamp and puts it under a basket, hides it away, covers it. The purpose of the lamp is to shine. The purpose of your life is not that you can kind of privately, quietly do your own thing in following Jesus but to be this living lampstand, to be, to be on display, boldly projecting light out everywhere you go. We so easily, I think, get blinded by the, the philosophy of this world that says just, just let everyone do their own thing. Let everyone go their own way. Who, who am I to tell someone else what they should believe or what they should think or how they should live? Everyone has to find their own way. Whatever works for them is fine. But that's not reality. This is the philosophy that's designed by those who are blinded and living in darkness. Why would we follow that? Why would we feel the pressure of that? Of course they don't care which way you go. Of course they would say everyone has the right to follow their own light. They would question, how can anyone know the truth? Because everything they've ever followed has only been the figment of their imagination. It's only been illusions of light that have dissipated the moment they grabbed it. And we would let them dictate to us, no, no, you can't know the truth because I don't know the truth. Once God has shone His light, His glory into your heart, and, and we've seen the, the blazing sun of the glory of God, all those faint imaginary lights fade away. Don't be afraid to stand up and say, this is the truth. I know you think the truth is impossible to find, but, but he found me. Let me show you the glory of this amazing God. Let me tell you what he's done in Christ and see if God won't shine in their hearts the light of the knowledge of his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's why we're here. To go and make disciples, to call a lost and dying world to come and see the light and the life that is in Christ, to be those representatives of Him. We need light. 
And the Lord is that light. And that light of the Lord brings life. And that light is found in Jesus. And we are called to proclaim that light, to put it on display. 